Special Agent 007 has just come face to face with one of the most notorious villains of all time. And now he'll have to outwit and outgun this powerful tycoon to prevent him from cashing in on a devious scheme to raid Fort Knox and obliterate the world economy. Making its premiere on the 17th of September 1964 in London and opening in the USA a few months later on the 22nd of December 1964, Goldfinger is the third James Bond film and cost $3 million to produce but made $124.9 million at the worldwide box office. Starring Sean Connery and directed by Guy Hamilton, the vital statistics are Conquests 2, Martinis 1, Kills 10, Bond James Bonds 1.5. Back in 1964, Variety said, There's not the least sign of staleness in this third sample of the Bond 007 formula. Some liberties have been taken with Ian Fleming's original novel, but without diluting its flavour. The mood is set before the credits show up, with Sean Connery making an arrogant pass at a chick and spying a thug creeping up from behind. He's reflected in Femme's eyeballs, so he heavies the heavy into a bath full of water and connects it deftly to a handy supply of electricity. That was their capsule review. So this week we're joined with Natalie, Phil, and Ben, and we're talking Goldfinger. First category is the one with, and this is the motif that you can hang your hat on for this film, whether it's like what you'd put on a minimalist poster or the one thing that you, when you close your eyes, you see or hear. Um, what is it, without being gold, because that's too obvious, what is the one with for Goldfinger? It's got to be Shirley Eaton painted gold. It has to be. So, so you're basically girl. saying, Natalie, that they got it, they got it right the first time round. I think so. Yeah, exactly. And Pierce Brosnan talked about how that was the first film he saw. I think with his dad when he was like a boy in Ireland, and he just remembers that iconic. <laughs> oh God, on Putney High Street, by any chance, was it? I, I think we should get a blue plaque on the place in Putney High Street where Pierce Brosnan first saw Goldfinger. That's a running joke, that. obviously. He says that a lot. Every interview. Every interview. There I was thinking I was so original. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, so back on two weeks ago, when you mentioned uh, Doctor No, you mentioned the painting, obviously, which was Rift later in Spectra and Skyfall. And this, your choice now, proving how iconic it was, was Rift in Conomus Solace. Yep. So, and they, they, they also photographed Shirley uh, for a magazine at age 80 covered in gold. They, like they brought her Life back. Life magazine. Yeah. Life magazine, yes. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting how, like, the the like some of the iconic imagery isn't actually from the film, right. the know, promo stuff. And, and as you said earlier, James, um, you know Shirley Eaton doesn't actually appear in the poster, but the you know it's it's more the idea of the Golden Girl that um, and is the yeah idea. and the pre-title sequence. Sorry, mm-hmm. the credits, the title sequence, yeah. not the pre-title sequence, the title sequence. Nice. Yeah. The pre-title sequence, though, is also pretty iconic. Um, I mean, scuba suit with a duck on the head? Come on, guys. Well, I, look, you know, I, uh, like last couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, I said um, one of the things that they, you know, that they didn't do um, for, for Dr. No was have uh, any of Fleming's kind of tongue-in-cheek um, jokes, you know, that he would put into it. And, and I feel that... Goldfinger is the first sort of time where the uh, that that flavor of Fleming, um, that particular kind of um, yeah, just not taking itself too seriously uh, aspect comes in because with with Doctor No and from For Russia with Love, they're they're very um, they're playing it very straight, and 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 Goldfinger is the first time it d- decides to lean into the camp a little mm. bit, and I think it's actually makes it a little bit more Fleming by doing so. Mm. What what would be uh, your the one with Ben? If you had to explain it to an alien, Goldfinger is the one with. So, so again, um, uh, like when when I was um, doing this last time, uh, I kind of. Uh, went thematically um uh but i would say that 
really, this is the one with the best villain. Yeah, um, true. Because everything from from the song to the costuming to the production design, everything really is there to enhance uh, Gert Frobe's performance as Goldfinger. And it's really it's really more his film than it is Bond's in a, in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, people who've done analysis of the film have, have often said that Bond doesn't really actively do much no. in this film, but um, he's constantly being bested by Goldfinger. Um, he's, he has really, he, he only fails uh, in his scheme, not through any real interference by Bond or, or any interference that you could you know, reasonably imagine. Um, and he is, you know, he is really the perfect kind of uh, foil for him in that sense, that that, that um, somebody who is, who is charismatic, as, as charismatic as Bond is, um, but, um, and, and as capable as Bond is, but has the opposite thing of being the bad guy, but also, um, somewhat grotesque as well um and so in that in that regard i think that's what stands out for me i don't know what you would put on the poster as a a, to to represent him really um but just 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 gert frog's Mm. performance um and i know that you know i know he's dubbed and i know there's other things going on there as well but ken adams um designer fort knox um, some of the costuming that they put Gutfrobe into to kind of create more of a, a, a golden look to him. Um, you know, the choices of colors and things and textures that he has, they all just push him front and center. Um, and I think it's a, it's one of the great assets mm. of that film. I think if you were to do the poster with him, you would sort of get a stylized picture of him with just like the laser cutting in front so he's he's looking down at bond on yeah. the table and you just see that red line that sharp red line sort of in front of him and he's just yeah. looking like you're not wrong just that funny that's because a, that's what they put on the cover of the 4k blu-ray release in germany in germany. <laughs> it's such an iconic piece of yeah. design too you know like the idea that one that that bond was really pushing that envelope of the cutting edge, like literally and mm. metaphorically in this, in this instance, um, you know, that the, they were always sort of one step ahead of technology. And then you've also got that um, hyper real, um, you know, production design of Ken Adam making that laser table. So, um, so graphic, mm. it, it, you know, it, it, you can, you can close your eyes and picture it perfectly that you don't need to have, it's it's just you know geometric lines and it and it's mm. amazing. Good call, Phil. Well, you know we need to talk about the powder blue play suit. Yay! <laughs> this is the one with the play suit, and I think the play suit gets a lot of shit. But I feel like I want you to, I want you to think about it with me. Where the film is introduced and two. Terry cloth besotted knights meet on a chessboard in Miami. You've got him in his blue, but people don't talk about the fact that Goldfinger is also wearing a Terry cloth lined two piece number. Yeah. And I think right. it sets them. It creates a yin and yang of Terry cloth, uh, romperness <laughs> that I think sets the stage in, in, for- in, in, in the, in the tone of Bravo TV, who wore it better? Yeah. Well, <laughs> me. But um, <laughs> Phil, I, I can't remember if it was you and me that were, were were doing this. I you'd have to nudge nudge my memory, but I seem to think you were sent you sent me some pictures of um a, a, a Terry romper mm-hmm. on Etsy, uh, like an original one that, uh, that was yeah, and it but it was in the it was in the Goldfinger yep. yellow, so it was like if you put Bond's romper and Goldfinger's romper into some telepods. <laughs> And you press the yeah, the button. road not taken. That's that's the problem that you but end if, up I'll, with. I'll transition this into a semi-serious answer. But I think what's cool about Goldfinger is the one—it's the one where Bond and the villain keep interacting in polite society, uh, which is a new thing mm. for the series at that point. You know what I mean? Like there, there's—it's not a cards on the table kind of kind of uh, right. relationship at first. 
Mm. Uh, and you know, and that mm. transitions into the golf game that goes on for three days, and and then <laughs> eventually, which is which is also interestingly, Phil, when they take it to Thunderball, it's to escalate that they are in polite society, but they do know who mm-hmm. each other are, and they do know what their motives are. But it's still playing within that idea yeah. of. Uh, interacting gritting teeth kind of thing you know and sizing public. each other up and i love that mm. and I, in fact it's it's a much bigger part of the book um where like he and a goldfinger ends up like hiring him or something before before everybody's cards are all on the mm-hmm. table but i do i like that dance and i feel like that's gotten lost in well in they, the franchise. They, they threw it away you only have twice uh, two films later they just tossed that idea didn't they yeah i guess so yeah what they were going to bring well, back in, in the, in the um, Bond and the villain feel each other out in social circumstances, right? right? Right, right, yeah, 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 they did. They they went, and I think that might come just come down to you, you only live twice being a, um, a product of another writer right. who is interpreting right. what they, they think. The yeah. Bond world. I like. I like that. Um, you know, it happens with like uh, Elliot Carver to some degree, where Bond shows up at the party. And I think the uh, the first Kingsman film, which I know Ben isn't a fan of, but they do a sort of an interesting spin on on this sort of villain and hero facing mm. off politely at a dinner table kind of thing. That um, no, do you know, Phil. Honestly, uh, I, I will say this about the Kingsman films, and I literally just saw um, mm-hmm. the latest one two nights ago. So. Uh, I do recognize that there is a great um, love for the Bond films within those films. And um, particularly I did like that scene in the original Kingsman where they play on, on that kind of trope. And they have so, McDonald's uh, together. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. It's, look, you can, you can, you can, you can dislike a film overall, I think for, for whatever it's, uh, shortcomings might be, but there's certainly gems to be found with within those those films yeah. as well. Um, but not to get too far off track, um, it's just I, I like that dynamic, and I think like Craig flirts with it a little bit at the Planet Green party, maybe. Mm. Um, but it's it's largely absent from the Craig era, and I would like to see that sort of uh, cat and mouse kind of sizing each other up come back. It would cool. be good. I'd say they took it great. to the the ultimate level with the world is not enough, right? Um, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've touched on some of these, the bond cocktail. These are the ingredients that tabloid journalists like throw together as like, this is your construction kit of a James Bond film. We've got teaser titles, plot, women, villains, allies, bond himself, action locations, dialogue, and style. Which of these elements to you is important in this film as a twist or is somehow unique to this particular outing. And it could be good or bad for good or bad reasons, who would like to pick an element of the Bond cocktail for Goldfinger? I just think there's something on all of those categories in Goldfinger that makes it so mm-hmm. unique. And I'd, um, I'd maybe kick things off with the title sequence and Shirley Bassey's number, Goldfinger. Like it's just, in terms of just bombast, it can't be beaten ever for a, for a song it's just uh it, it's not particularly one that does well at karaoke like live and let die or <laughs> you know my name or something um but it's so yeah just it, it encapsulates everything about what you're going to get and it starts i think a trend of the songs being about the villain which i always really enjoyed mm. is that there would be sort of some thematic tie- well yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> peter serafinowicz one is genius um but and this one is obviously it, it's the most obvious it's the name of the villain but it, it the future songs often do pull in something thematically about the villain or the the big enemy or you know uh die another day being one of them that also kind of references Bond's journey in that. But, you know, the, the, I think I've always liked seeing where in the songs and in the song lyrics. But I think just the, the horns and the everything about this song is, is spellbinding to me and uh, it, it fires me up. <laughs> That's a good call. Do you think that they should have called uh, Skyfall Silver <laughs> and had a yeah. bombastic sort of... <laughs> 
for me like i know that when james sets out these little uh categories for us to follow uh or nominate, doesn't matter how small um, the loophole is going to be the way you're going to go there yeah I'll, I'll always find a way out um but yeah for this cocktail i think um you know falling under the term style um i think you've also got structure i know that's a bit of a um a leap but or let's call it formula this is really the first time that you know these bond films are finding their easy stride and it's all of these ingredients that have been put into the shaker in Doctor No and then from from Russia with Love are now being shaken up and poured and you've got this for the first time a really perfect blend of all of these different ingredients and as Natalie says you've got you know the bombast of Shirley Bassey just bringing you straight in you've got the craziness of the duck on the head in the you know in in the pre-title sequence um production design is Mm. off the scale in this movie um so i you know for all of those sorts of things what you've got is this it's it's like when you know in in casino royale bond orders the vespa and you think about all of those ingredients and wondering whether how they'll they'll come back and just getting this perfect drink um and you know yeah there's there are a lot of things wrong with this film and i think you know i everybody knows what those things are um but for a long time and probably um fairly it was considered one of the best bomb films if not the best and certainly the one that really uh, allowed the, the the franchise to keep going i got some things to say about that but i'll let you go next phil uh okay i think um you know, we've talked before about how how this film is maybe a little overloved, or or maybe we're just tired of it in, in terms of like uh, what it does right and what it does well and what it does competently. And I think that the the secret ingredient of this one to me is the crystallization of the formula. Um, whereas on the other side of twenty odd more movies, it might feel a little rote, a little stale. But it it was like there's something just sort of satisfyingly clicking into place with Goldfinger. And I think for me, it's you feel that in the pre-title sequence, you feel it in the the title sequence, and you you feel it um, specifically for me when it starts to just feel like like you're hanging out with old friends again is the cue scene, which is odd because it's the first cue scene. Right. But I think that I think that something feels so correct about that moment, and you just know you're seeing like a, mm. a template take effect. Um, so I don't know, maybe that falls under your, under your list of cocktail ingredients that might fall under plot potentially. Yes. Okay. We'll do that. Yeah. I think that's, that's where I sit on it. When I was looking at this, um, the one to me that actually comes bottom of all those ingredients, and this might be a controversial choice, but it's actually bond. Mm. I think his agency in the movie is pretty Mm. limp. I mean, right. he kind of goes along for the ride. He yep. gets captured. A lot of it's coincidence. He screws up. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's not great as a agent in this film. <laughs> so um, if you were ranking like the best James Bond film, I think Goldfinger's like bottom tier because he doesn't really do much and he's kind of a, a liability. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that's a weird way of dismissing one of these elements it's like it just seems strange to me when i was looking at this list that that should be at the top of every good bond film that bond himself sure. is good in it but in this case he's, everything he's else rubbish. everything else takes over rubbish. and it's fine and it's fine mm. Mm. I, I, but like i said that's why i think that's why i think you know golf goldfinger stands out as a character right because B- bond can't yeah in order for for Goldfinger to be as front and center and as and as um, charismatic as he is, uh, in in some senses, you almost can't have Bond competing in that that way. Um, it is sort of bizarre to me that his plan was just like, um, let's say, 
kindly seduce p- uh, Pussy Galore, <laughs> right? Um, and um, and what if it had? What if it hadn't yeah. worked? Was was that his? Just like, well, at least I'll have sex one more time before I die. <laughs> like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty lame kind of fifty-fifty, isn't it? You know. Um, on the one hand, I might save the world. On the other hand, you know, I I might have sex before I die at <laughs> breakfast. Um, I don't, you know, it's. I, I think James is right in that sense. Is that he is the most lackadaisical he is in any any outing. Um, ineffectual. Um, yeah, charming and charismatic, definitely. Um, but really I guess not quite a few effective. people killed too. <laughs> he oh, wins yeah. the golf yeah, game, guys. I mean, come on, give him some credit. Or does he though? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, he cheats as well. So you know, does a cheat beating a cheat equal? You know, is two wrongs making a right and all that? I will say just to to push back against not not uh, you're absolutely right. He he is. Uh, <laughs> He, he goes along for the ride in this film on in many different ways. But part of me, I don't know, there's sort of that's fun. It's sort of seeing him being swept up in these strange people's stories. And I, I don't know, I, I quite like the fact that he's sort of hobnobbled. Hobble, hobnobbled? He's hobbled <laughs> at various stages. Yeah. He can't really do much. He's at a Kentucky stud farm with um, Felix Leiter looking on going, oh, he's just having the time of his life. And and. I don't know. There's something quite fun. I, I, I point out that it's this, the same character can be hanging off an ice shelf in a broken dragster with a tsunami coming and finds a way out. <laughs> so somebody sitting having a cocktail in Kentucky. I mean, you know, <laughs> I've had a sudden realization that Natalie is spot on about this. Um, but he's he's Sterling yeah. Archer in this movie. <laughs> Absolutely, he's. Still- He's just waiting to see what happens. He has no agency at all. He knows he'll get out of it and he's capable of getting out of any situation, but he's not going to do anything to precipitate that. He's just going to see what happens. And really, um, he's not, yeah, like I say, he's not really James Bond. He is exactly what Sterling Archer is in the, in the series. Cool. So, <laughs> I hadn't made that link, but yes, that's a fair point to make. I, I don't know. I just I still find it quite um, captivating to watch him sort of have to, you know, jump to the whim of of Goldfinger. And also, you kind of are watching. You're kind of using James as like your. It, it's almost like, as you said earlier, the it's Goldfinger's story, and we're kind of watching mm. it through James Bond's eyes. You know that he's he's literally when he's standing mm. under the the big table in the the, the war room. And uh, Goldfinger's got his minutely detailed 3D map of Fort Knox, which I just adore. Uh, and and Bond's listening, like we're literally kind of listening in the same way that that he is. And I I feel like you know that's probably a lot of what spying actually is, <laughs> kind of being there and just watching. It's not necessarily the film, the James Bond film franchise method of spying, which is to get into places and screw things up uh you know mess everyone up but it's uh it's certainly not the blunt instrument james bond let's say Mm. but Mm -hmm. i I don't know i find it quite captivating that he's just you know like poking around here i always appreciate any time that we're seeing bond spying rather than (laughs) blowing shit up or even um in tomorrow never dies when he's you know, infiltrating oh, yeah. that. Yeah, um, Gupta's office. Yeah, it Gupta's office. Like it's kind. There's an element of me which is like, he's been given all these devices as well, but he's kind of using them, you know, in his own way, and that feels so much more espionage than Bond has been in such a long time. And to come back to what Natalie's saying, yeah, to even though this is a high octane kind of film, you know, it's a very action packed film, certainly for the time that it was released. Just to have one of the best moments be him hiding under a, <laughs> you know, under a model, is pretty, pretty, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and then getting uh, crash tackled by Pussy Galore, who I'm sure we'll discuss as a key, key ingredient uh, mm. <laughs> of this film. 
so moving on to underappreciated elements, what thing, big or very, very small, would you like to bring to people's attention to, about Goldfinger, even though they've probably seen it a hundred times? What, what is the one <laughs> element or moment that you think is underappreciated about this very overappreciated film? Um, it's a, it's a, a very boring technical thing, but it's the opening shot into Miami um, and this lovely helicopter aerial establishing shot as we go in and we track down. We've got, we don't even need a superimposition because we've got a plane there to tell us where we are, right? So the superimposition is there. We know that we're in Miami. We see the fountain blue. We, you know, we, we zoom in on this, this diver. He dives in and then we cut to, uh, you know, Cecilinda at the location. The dive, it's like, it's a, you know, like to edit that dive so it's seamless that he's seeing it going in there. And then we transition into Pinewood. And it's this brilliant way, really, of um, matching the location with the studio. Um, this, this structure of this establishing shot and all of the aspects that are in it to create a sense of location and place are brilliantly done, especially considering that Connery never went to the Fountain Blue. Like, principal, the majority of the principal mm-hmm. cast never went there. It was all done on, on the back lot or on the studio, sorry. And I just appreciate, I just, every time I see that cut to the diver, to, to Seth Linda, and then him walking onto the, the Pinewood set, I just think it's one of the best bits of kind of establishment and exposition uh, and setup that I've seen in a lot of movies. You know, just in, in 30 oh, seconds, we're right there. Good call. Um, I'd piggyback on that, Ben, and say underappreciated for me is the fact that Sean Connery never went to the US, but you wouldn't know it by watching the film. Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't know that until you just said it. Yeah, like Kentucky's at the Pinewood back lot. Like the whole thing, he, he never s- set foot in the States to produce this movie um, when the bulk of it is set there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so all, the illusion of filmmaking. Yeah, it's all and and also the fact that the the huge majority of the film is shot within a couple of miles of Pinewood, right? Like the the um, you know where, where the, the air force base, the the the, the, the sorry the, the airport is is the, the one that they always that they always use. Um, really, uh, you've only got. Uh, a bit of um, stuff in Switzerland, really, that is taking you out of the UK in some, and then a handful of um, back projection shots of uh, Sesslinder in, in, you know, right, in Florida. In Florida yeah. Well, in, in terms of filmmaking, uh, I think it's, a, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an impressive piece of filmmaking. And isn't it interesting that when we celebrate Peter Hunt, it's always about the way he breaks the rules and the way he does this in-your-face editing. But in Goldfinger, there's all these examples of just really tidy, seamless, graceful matching of things. And he's not really – I think he's not showing off the way he is. Honestly, that, that sequence, Phil, I think is one of my favorite – you know, like who has, who has a list of favorite cuts? But that is just a cut that I think <laughs> works beautifully. Um, and – just throws you throws you as a viewer right into the story and I, yeah i um i could only hope to do something as uh, as yeah it's got such an economy you know in the same way that fleming's writing had an economy this just zaps you right in there it's great i have a number of little things that i'm sure they are very appreciated um you know i'm sure you guys have discussed them in details but just for me um i love the um that really gorgeous trip through the Alps um, and just the way that they shoot the scenery and the way that it's very languid and it's just Bond following a car and yet I'm there the whole time. Just going along for the ride, see what happens. Like the slowest car chase in all of cinema (laughs) history. Travelogue. But then when he's overtaken by um, Tilly Masterson, Mm. the sister, and he like starts to gun the Aston Martin and 
then he stops himself and he has that like, you know, no 007 or something like that and he has to stop himself. Discipline, so that's, <laughs> that's the word, yes. But, I mean, to me that's really an interesting because that's what sort of a James Bond that we know and love would probably do is go, oh, I'm going to go have a sidetrack it, you know, go follow mm. this girl, whereas he's like, no, 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 discipline. So I think that, you know, calls back to what you were saying about him not having any agency. He does have agency there. He decides. Yeah. <laughs> Um, to, to stick to the job. Do you know what's um, really interesting, Natalie? This exact thing was I was playing through my mind earlier today. This this thing where like he's passed by her. He does. He he makes the conscious decision not to pursue her, but it's only after she takes a shot at him. And I only really thought about this for the first time today, which is that he doesn't know that she's not trying to kill him. So yes. right. when he, you know, when he puts her off the road, when he offers her a lift and all that kind of thing, in his mind, in Bond's mind, right at this moment, he is thinking, she just tried to assassinate me. What's going on here? So that adds another dimension to it because he doesn't know at this point that she's after Goldfinger. So I like the fact that he, rather than, like if you saw a movie now and the, and the hero was shot at by a character, you, the hero would go straight after that character and, you know, gun them down. And mm. whereas he's kind of like, what's going on here? I'm going to just going to suss the lay of the land here and, and work it out. And it, and it does speak to him having more agency. I think he certainly has more agency in the, in the first half of the film than he does in the, in the, in the latter part. Let's, let's say that. But he must ping when he gets her off the road, surely, and she doesn't respond to him with any kind of, you know, if she's if she's just been wildly trying to shoot at him and then he stops to help her, you'd think she'd be more like grabbing the I gun love also or the I don't... dialogue, Natalie, when, you know, he's he spots her case in the back and he asks Yeah, he asks and she lies. She, you know, she lies about it and he's like he says a line that is both is really just for the audience, which is like I used to have a case just like it right like that doesn't it only helps the audience understand that he recognizes that that's a rifle case um and the fact that she lies about her initials and he's putting all of this together in his head as he uh, just in one glance in the rear view mirror um i think he's very bondian in that moment you know how dare you undo uh, my argument? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a few other little things that I think are un- underappreciated. I think we underappreciate just how joyful it is when uh, Goldfinger is sucked out of that airplane window. Like, <laughs> you know, th- those were some big airplane windows compared yeah. to what you actually get on airplane windows. <laughs> but, like, did they film that with Gert Frobe or is that a stuntman or, you know, you guys I'm sure would like know. Blue but screen it- or something. Yeah. yeah, I think he's on. Like, I think he's on for the bit where he's kind of like floating down, floating, halfway out. Floating yeah, it's a blue screen. He's suspended, and they blue screened it. Um, I mean, it's quite. I, I think it looks a little bit more obvious now to you know to our more sophisticated eyes when we look at these kind of digital effects these days, and you know most of them are seamless. But that you know at the time that that played really well um i i think the moment when he's sucked out the window i mean it it i buy it you know yep i'll give you two quick ones uh one is sort of like the lone piece of like continuity between this film and the previous film uh i I like when he just sort of casually asks on the plane for his attache case and she's like Mm. black attache case damaged when examined (laughs) and that's all you get but you know that somebody got blown up uh tinkering with his case i love i love that moment um and then i think it's a very bold choice to have the final showdown with odd job with just uh ambient sound there's no music Mm. but there's like they really crank up the this what would call, what you'd call room tone, right? Mm. There's like this weird hum of machinery happening, yeah, mm. and, and the ticking of the bomb, and the ticking of the it. bomb, and and it's yeah. so it's such a ballsy choice for uh, you know a movie that could very easily have just carpeted that with quote unquote mm. you know like suspense right. music, yeah. Compare it to two films before when he goes into a phone box and you get the James Bond theme, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the train fight for Marshall with Love is done without music, but but mm-hmm. that's. I don't know that that's that this scene is in conversation with that scene, and it's a 
completely different sound design, but the quiet of the final fight with Oddjob is really impactful. The echoes of the footsteps. Yeah, and yeah stuff. I love those echoes and when things land against the bar and you hear those twangs and yeah. twangs and twing, yeah. you know, pings and, yeah, it's really evocative. I have one um, more small. It's, it's a, you know, the, uh, oh, please, you won ahead. an Oscar for sound design, right? So. Hell yeah. Um, Rightly so, I think, in this instance, uh, although Norman Monstall is um, not politically aligned with me, um, <laughs> I, I would say that um, it's, it's a fantastic piece of uh, sound design on it and, and, and a worthy winner, really, of that. Yeah. I love the twang of, um, you know, when, when Oddjob throws his hat and it's the it's the ruler on the table thwang yeah. as the um statue is decapitated i just you know there's little things i mean that should go that should be as egregious as a slide whistle but it isn't right <laughs> talking of editing I have- well uh, i just want to say what a fantastic cut that is to go from stoke poges to pinewood in one shot right <laughs> <laughs> so. Like that's a that's a very strong throwing arm you have there, uh, job. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, I wanted to just say as a brief shout out, I I love the fact that um, Felix Leiter is just hanging out near a KFC, a Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> that, okay, just, that KFC is st- that KFC is still there in Florida in that, in, on ah. that intersection. Yeah. Filmed in Florida, that sequence. But I just I think that's the only time you see like a major fast food franchise in a Bond yeah. film. Is it? Yeah. Which is, it also explains why there's why there's palm trees in Kentucky. Although uh, and, <laughs> me up on this, um Bond uh, in in the novels, they he does uh sort of enjoys a good hamburger when he goes to the hamburger US. and fries, right? Yep, there sure. he does. So ah. uh, Miller High Life. Yeah, and a middle of high life. Um, <laughs> it's quite interesting to, you know, like the the original kind of fifties look at Americana and American cuisine through Fleming's eyes. It's, um, you know, and particularly through Bond's eyes, I suppose it's um, it's an interesting one. You know, we get we get a little view of that in um, 007 in New York, and we get it in um diamonds of forever we get if you know these little moments of culinary moments where we uh get fleming's take on uh american cuisine it's uh it's quite good uh, we're leaning into this already but trivia um any little fact or tidbit that you find obscure and interesting about goldfinger we're probably the most written about film mm. of the series so this is gonna be a tough one <laughs> so maybe mm. more of a personal choice than some you know stunning thing that nobody's thought of before. Does anyone mind if I take this one? Sure. Um, Go. So, um, first of all, I should just point out that this isn't, this isn't trivia that I, I know independently. Um, I, I know about this through Matt Spice's, uh, great, uh, uh, blog, uh, bond suits. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I'm definitely tipping my hat to that that man right there uh, in terms of the, the kind of work that he's done uh, examining the wardrobe uh, of, of uh, the Bond films. Um, but I think an interesting piece of trivia is that um, much of Sean's wardrobe in this film is actually from another film um, and just recycled um, from the earlier Woman of Straw uh, was shot earlier that, that same year. Uh, also, a Pinewood film. Uh, they shared, right. shared uh, Ken Adam as a production designer on that film as well. Um, and uh, Matt makes a suggestion that maybe there was some kind of split costing on the wardrobe, but nobody really knows for sure. Um, but there's about six outfits um, that appear in Women of Straw that then are recycled into Goldfinger, uh, which is quite interesting um if if you're into that like considering that this film is one of the films that, that you know that people talk about being the definitive bond style um film right it's interesting that the the the, the costume design wasn't specifically done for it um so i think that's that's interesting um you know there's no 
no uh, cocktail cuff shirts. They're all done by Frank Foster and, um, it, you know, not uh, Tabo Nasa. Um, one of the interesting things is, is uh, as well, there's a, there's a couple of scenes where Sean has cufflinks on his um, French cuff shirts, but they are actually put in backwards. Um, so uh, I, I don't know whether that was by, you know, the, the, the wardrobe department, the costume department, or whether that was Sean doing it himself. Um, but um, certainly at the scenes in Soap Poges, uh, when he is saying goodbye to Goldfinger, he has his little oval engine-turned cufflinks in back to front. Wow. <laughs> shocking. Truly shocking. <laughs> yeah, shocking. Shocking. I mean, that's the greatest pun. Come on, guys. Yeah. Shocking. Well, you know, okay, Napoli, so why didn't they leave? Why didn't they put that in for um, Odd Job, you know? That would have been a better yeah. callback. <laughs> be great yes, just it would have been. You're right, yeah. Maybe you should have just done the same pun twice and then somebody should have just gone, oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Every that time you electrocute someone, you're going to say that? Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> uh, well, I have a, a piece of trivia about this film that has nothing to do with the film apart from the right. fact that it was a piece of trivia. <laughs> Let me explain. Um, so years ago now, probably 10 years ago, uh, QI did a tour of Brisbane, the, the panel show, the, the UK panel show, you know, where they do like a letter a year and Stephen yeah. Fry hosted it, Sandy Toxic hosts it now, and Stephen Fry did a tour and they came to Brisbane and I went with Stu, my podcasting buddy, and a few other people and it was 100 bucks for a ticket, so not, not you know, a, a reasonable amount of though, money. You'd pay that price. <laughs> Uh, well, the thing is, it wasn't very good. Oh. Uh, yeah, they got a few local stand-ups who really I just was very unimpressed by who they got. I felt it was very, yeah, hacky. And Stephen mm. Fry was great and he actually came out at the start and sort of talked and told a few stories and things like that and that was really good. But the actual panel itself, Alan Davies, obviously lots of fun, uh, but, yeah, it was very underwhelming for, well, you know, paying you know, into surprise. And it's kind of the same people um, that you see on other shows. And I think that's also because there's sort of one talent agency that represents most of the big stand-ups and they do, I think, exclusive content deals. So you kind of get the same people right. over and over again. And you've you know, you've only had me on a couple of times, so hopefully I'm, I you know, James, someone new. James, our contract is, is subject to, you know, <laughs> we, you can't tell people the details. No, sorry. But the this thing is what, is, what, okay, I, what I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. What, I'm wondering how this is going to circle back to this golfing. Is, this is why no. you don't hear me yeah. on other podcasts. It's not because right. I, I, I don't love the rest <laughs> of the bond community. It's just I'm, you know, I come contractually, I'm not allowed to. Yeah, <laughs> but that's yeah, but that's I think that's how it goes for a lot of a lot of shows in um, Australia. They use the talent from that particular talent agency, and if you're not with them, then you don't get gigs. It's really anyway. Uh, backstories. I I could talk more, but I won't. My point is, so I'm watching this show, and they did a uh, question about Goldfinger, and they did or the film got brought up as part of the you know. The, the general shenanigans and Stephen Fry actually said uh okay here's the question what does anyone know the name of the woman who was painted gold and the whole panel is just like Bleh. and I yelled out from my seat very loudly Shirley Eaton and he heard and went oh no someone 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 was there someone said it and uh and and uh they found me and then they threw out like a chocolate or something. I think they had like little, you know, treats or something. So they'll throw this back. So I won a lolly. Um, but, yes, I was very proud of myself because I couldn't because everyone was just struck dumb and I was like, I should be on this panel. I would be a better panelist than all of these people. Because <laughs> the thing is there's a it difference is between there's a difference between stand-up comedians and good panelists and it doesn't mean that they can't be the same but there's a lot of 
stand-up comedians who I don't think are good at panellists because of the amount of improvisation that you have to do. And my background is in improvisation and improvised comedy and scripted comedy with a lot of improvisation. So that's why I reckon I should be on more panel shows. <laughs> I hope that uh, the, the producers of uh, QI for the next uh, Australian <laughs> show, uh, are listening. Is to it QI? Sorry. Like you got to get that little inflection at the end. QI? QI? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what I said? Am I inflecting? <laughs> no, it just means it's been horrible. Am I being too Australian? <laughs> no, it's all good. No, you're right. <laughs> but yes, that, that's my that's my um, non-film related film trivia. Trivia. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. Phil, do you have anything for Here Goldfinger go. that we haven't heard before? I got some hot Goldfinger trivia for you Ooh. that you have not heard anywhere else. Um. The Fontainebleau, I believe it's pronounced, is uh, it donated these sh- chandeliers from its hotel lobby to a restaurant in Philadelphia called Butcher and Singer. Huh. And if anyone listening to this podcast ever finds themselves in Philadelphia, reach out and I will take you to Butcher and Singer and I will show you the f- glorious chandeliers hanging from the ceiling that were originally from the Fontainebleau. Oh. But how did... How did they get over to Philadelphia? Like, surely they would donate One them somewhere. One piece at a time. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a dinosaur skeleton. They had to catalog it. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> In, inside golf balls, right? Yes. <laughs> inside golf balls. Elementary. You, you had an opportunity there, Phil, to say elementary. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know. Let's let, should we do it again? No. <laughs> how, they, uh, how did the, the chandeliers get over there, Phil? Jack Lord dragged them in a flatbed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and they have to wash off the potato. They have to wash off the potato salad. <laughs> Inexplicably covered in potato salad. <laughs> okay, uh, this may be a redundant question. Um, final that's verdict. A week later, callback. By the way, uh, that's right. Um, <laughs> top tier, middle tier, bottom tier. How do you each rank Goldfinger and why? Um, look, I'm a cliche. Because <laughs> you're going to cliche it. There we go. I'm I'm a cliche. Yeah, it's up there. It's it's up top. It's top of the top. I love it. I just I love it. What can I say? I'm a basic bitch, um, and I love Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was your like. So where does it rank and why was? It's up there. I love it. I'm a basic bitch. I'm a basic, <laughs> I'm a basic bitch, guys. Because I'm a I'm basic a, bitch. That you don't need any more explanation. It's just you've got everything. I think we need the Natalie Pachensky T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just I. It it just makes me happy. And if I want to throw on something that is just going to give me a freaking great time. I'll throw I'll throw Goldfinger. I'll throw on any James Bond film. Let's be fair, but if if it's Goldfinger, then I'm I'm watching. Sorry to disappoint. Uh- <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, no, I, 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 it's it's a hard thing to disagree with Natalie, but at the same time, I I I think I'm like bipolar on this. Like on the one hand. For all of the like, all of the things that I love about it can also be the things that I hate about it. You know, the fact mm. that it establishes formula, but it's also very formulaic. Bond is very uh, savoir-faire, and you know, um, you know, he's very, very easy through the film, but he's also very ineffectual. Um, it's stylish, but then does it lean too heavily into it? Or did, was it even their own style? Yeah. Yeah, and and it's this weird sort of seesawing thing that I get with it, and sometimes it's you know it it's up there, and sometimes it's right down there, um, and I think as a kind of a template for you know um, a franchise for, for for the for the films, um, it's it's fantastic, but I also think that there are a lot of problems with it. Um, thematically and narratively that I just don't love. So I think it's sort of if where I'm standing today at this very, very moment, it's sort of low mid for me. Shocking. 
Positively. <laughs> Good answer there, Ben. Phil? I'll I'll call it high mid. It's it's oh. it's oh. a little it's a little played out the as for reasons we've discussed on many episodes of this podcast. But it's still Connery in his prime. It's still that beautiful Technicolor. It's it's Barry delivering like maybe the first full score that Barry delivered. Like from Russian Club's yeah. got a little bit of repetition to it. And um and it's uh it's a nice way to pass the time on on your couch on an afternoon. I think it's it's not a it's not a punishing <laughs> it's it's not a punishing watch. What a rave review. Um <laughs> it's <laughs> Can we put it's that on the next the one I reach for release? It. So can we say it's not the gold standard anymore? Hey. Hey. Wow. Yeah. It's not the one I reached for, but that is very likely because for a very long time it was the one I reached for. So yeah. mm. Play that. I, we might have done it. We might have overgorged ourselves on it. That that the, me saying that it is where it is is not in any way to to disrespect what this what the impact of this film had or what it had on on me personally either um and or, or to really kind of comment on its um it, it as a as a solo film i think you can't not look at it externally although it's the, the only film with solo in it <laughs> yeah exactly hey. um so i do i i, I hasten to add that it, you know it is it is a beautiful looking film and it and it and it punches all of the bun the bond buttons um and as phil said earlier it, it is one of those films that i would often i probably seen it um you know the the first three bond films are the the, the films i've probably seen the most honestly couldn't give you a a an accurate number right. on that, but it right. would be a lot. <laughs> so yeah, that surprised me. I thought you'd all come with top tier for obvious reasons, but interesting, interesting stuff. Um, you guys, you guys pers- are extra. You guys are extra. Yeah. I'm basic. Yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Defying convention. So I have a personal request. If you're listening to this in the UK and tomorrow Goldfinger is at your cinema, please go and see it on the big screen. Um, for this reason alone that when you post a controversial opinion about Bond on the internet, somebody's going to say, well, your opinion's invalid. I saw Goldfinger in cinemas. Go see it in the cinema too. And these people can then fuck off. Checkmate. <laughs> and with yeah. that, we will see you all with different people next week for Thunderbolt. Thank you, yeah. Natalie, Phil, and Ben. Ciao. Thank you. Thank you.